Hello and welcome to this episode of The Common Room. Today, of course, I am being joined by our wonderful GM, Ben. Hello. Voice of Meredith Meadowlark, Joe. Hello. And voice of Potentia, Kate. It's me, yay, we're all together to talk about behind the scenes things. Woohoo! It's been a little while since the last Common Room, and in fact, since then, we have uh, finished season one. Congrats, everybody. Yay! <laughs> we did it. Guys, people listen, people listen and care and, I and know. have opinions so and feels. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it was um I think it was a good I think it was a good arc that we told in the end. I think um there are probably some implications down the road. Uh, Maybe a few. Based on some of the uh, events that happened. <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about. Definitely, definitely not things that are going to be problems. Nope. Uh, but that that should make for a fun return um, as we as we come back to the uh, you know as we come back to our, our beloved characters um, and look I'll be honest you folks absolutely peppered us with questions so uh, this episode we're just gonna go through all of them. Um, Normally, I sort of try and weave a little narrative and like involve your questions and, you know, sort of make the whole show sort of flow. But we have so many audience questions that I'm just going to go through each of them one by one uh, and we'll uh, hopefully answer whatever you have in your mind. And if, you know, there's anything at the end that we, we, we think we can add, we can have like a little section and yeah. and uh, see if anyone has any thoughts uh, in general there. So uh, let's start off with a question from Roy the Snake. Uh, and Roy the Snake asks, in the solo episode where Potentia finds the golem hand being all squishy, um, I think... Ben, you mentioned a bump in the night. Can you let us know uh, in on what that was? Were you trying to bait Kate into an encounter? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, sort of. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, it was. It was as we now know, laying the groundwork for future things that happened in the story, um, showing that the golem was able to heat itself up and become more malleable which we kind of already knew uh but that it was still active and and doing stuff because at that point the the characters the players weren't sure if the golem was even alive because last they saw it, it was falling down a mountain during an avalanche yeah, it was something about the phrase bump in the night that made me go, oh, oh n- n- I'm not, n- n- no, Ben, I'm by myself. I'm a wizard. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not the only one no. who's squishy in this scenario. <laughs> oh, no. I so rarely get you all by yourself to actually do fun things like that because you're also good at like, nope, stay together, stay together. Ah. Uh- I'm very good at splitting the party, Ben. That's I am true. very good at splitting the party. Yeah, she's yeah. good at yeeting herself out of it. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> go have adventure times. I'm going to go be with my myself. Bye bye now. Bye. Bye bye now. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye bye. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny because I, I feel like Harold would probably be like, hmm, I should go look at that. And then probably 
once he realizes what's happening, be like, oh no. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) I feel like it's the meme of like what white people do in the horror movie. Harold is like, hmm, I wonder what that noise was. Yeah. Potentially is like, oh, mm, 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 mm. nope, no, No. nope, no, no, nope. I would like to live, please. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, this is actually a fun one. And I think we've sort of touched on this before, but um, I think it would be fun to sort of think about it again. Um, so Ruby asked, um, we know Meredith's love, love language. Uh, it's food. Uh, <laughs> but what are the, the love languages of the other characters? Ooh, that's a good question. Um... Now you've got me thinking about love languages, which is not something that I typically have in my brain um what are like for those who don't know can anyone list off what they are so that my brain's like so engaging? it's <laughs> acts of service no yeah. worries acts of service words of affirmation gifts physical touch quality time quality time yeah yeah so i think, I think there's five I think Potentia's family are probably givers of gifts and or words of affirmation but she's probably a person who prefers quality time mm-hmm. make of that what you will so which actually explains why she eats herself off by herself a whole lot if yeah people think about I uh I think yeah. I think for Harold um I don't know what like you know official love like I mean you know it's like a Myers-Briggs uh, test so whatever but yeah, um right. uh, I, like a pe- <laughs> I think appealing to his sense of adventure is the obvious answer. You know, he he just sort of is just desperate to escape whatever, like, you know, what he what he perceives to be a very dreary experience. I mean, I, I think uh, I think Harold's life is a lot more interesting without the adventure than he would give it credit for. Um. Yeah. You know, like... Isn't everyone's, though? Well, uh, I think in the world that we <laughs> inhabit, you know, a lot of people live the peasant life, right? And, like, just by just by being born into privilege, Harold already has such an exciting life. But I, I don't think he's cottoned on to the fact that... He, that privilege no. has, 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 has allowed him to dare to dream and that... He's trying to escape yeah. something that most people could only dream of having in the first place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that'll be interesting to see if Harold comes to that realization at some point uh, in the show. I, but um, yeah, I think just appealing to his, like his sense of adventure and friendship as well uh, is really important to Harold. I think just just generally. It's like quality time. Yeah. 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 Well, I was to say a conversation of like quality time and gifts, but gifts that are of things Adrenaline. to do rather than things to have. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting when you ask a question of a bunch of science people about, you know, love languages. And things yeah. like that. It's like, I, I'm now like, does, does Potentia have a Myers-Briggs type? And uh, <laughs> I'm like, I, uh, it, would uh, fun, it would be fun like, to do that if we can find... Enneagram um, number is Meredith. Oh, God. Yeah. 
Would it, people if people would want to like see that? We could totally. I think that oh, would yeah. be fun. Record us all. Yeah. Record us all doing them together, and then oh, yeah, um, we should do put the we should, results out or something. We should do Myers Briggs for the character, like in in character, of course. Um, only if <laughs> only if the audience want that kind of content. Yeah. If you don't want it, we won't put let it out know. there. Yeah, yeah. Let uh, us tweet, tweet us um, and let us know because uh, that that kind of stuff is really fun, and we do occasionally behind the scenes actually do some some stuff yeah. like that. Um, um, and also, or if you don't have Twitter, uh, I'm regularly in our Instagram messages, so feel free to like yeah, or Facebook jump on over even. there. Um, we are actually yeah. uh, we have um, all the things. We don't have TikTok because it's an audio medium, and it would be weird for us to have TikTok. But. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to wear normal clothes and not pajamas. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's very Meredith of you. <laughs> yeah, a good fifty percent of us actually record in pajamas, so that's. Uh, yeah. That's a fun fact for you. Um, <laughs> guess, so, which, guess which 50% based on those comments. <laughs> <laughs> All right, another question uh, from Ruby, uh, which I guess is for Ben. Um, do Parfait and the Tea Wizard know each other? Ah, oh, okay. Um, hmm. <laughs> There's got to be a convention, Ben, Ruby, surely. your questions are amazing. We love it. Uh, I... <laughs> I would say they've probably met each other at some point. Um, T-Wizard, he does lots of traveling. Um, so, and, and I'm sure that uh, as somebody as specialized in desserts as Parfait, he would definitely draw attention from someone like uh, that wizard. Yes. So yeah, yeah, they've met each other. Uh, the snack conventions of the, yep. uh, <laughs> of the Dear Doctorate's world. That would be amazing. Imagine going to a like heroic. Oh, feast Meredith convention. would be all over that. Hey, 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 Ben, hey, Ben, could, could we have a, a heroic feast convention yes, episode, please. one shot episode, please? Yeah, Meredith heroic, sees a flyer heroic somewhere. Heroic feast con. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, for for a conjuration wizard, potentially be down. Yeah. Meredith would be down. There's food. Harold yeah. would get dragged right. along. <laughs> Sounds like something you could try and convince your supervisor to get funding to go to. <laughs> Yeah, I've got, I've got to go. It's a con- I, yeah, it's a conjuration um, convention. I met this wonderful wizard parfait and he told me that he's going to this uh, convention and that they do all this conjuring and I need to go and find out. Okay, I think we it. might need to stop this now because this could be spoiler territory. Yeah, this nah. is coming into, into real. <laughs> it is though. That is like a fundamental uh, of the, the post-grad experience is like finding a conference somewhere cool. And then trying to justify why you should be able to go. <laughs> Definitely um, have to go to Hawaii for this convention. It's yeah. the only, re- yeah. As part of my masters, I managed to convince them to let me go home <laughs> for a week. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that could be uh, a lot of fun, I think. So uh, this question is from Malleus, and they ask Do you anticipate a future story arc for Old Weathen, which is the name? They suggest that um, Harold adopt for old women. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Ethan. Oh, oh man. Um, I have plans for Ethan. Oh no. <laughs> uh, that I'm not going to get into, but there are there are long plans. <laughs> ben generally has. Plans for everyone, I think. Yeah, which is, he plays the long game. Which is why we're all terrified. Which is why I think <laughs> yeah. the, the the world is is so like uh, accessible to people. I think that yeah. um, 
that's a yeah, that's a big part of why I enjoy playing as well. I think is that you you always know that things could sort of come back and you know yeah uh, be revisited. Or if we go and turn down a different alleyway, then has a plan. Or doesn't and can make it up. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's also why, for example, there's some stuff coming up when we get into season, the start of season two, which, spoiler alert, we have very, we started the first episode or two, um, where I was just like, Ben, you need a bunch of information about my character right now because mm-hmm. you'll be able to deal with it, but I'm not springing that on you with no time. That's rude. Mm. <laughs> so. Yes, I appreciate that. Mm. Especially for reasons that will become immensely apparent. All right. Well, let's get into this one from Roy the Snake. Uh, They ask, as Ben was describing the Irregulars police station in episode 43, um, my brain did a mondegreen. Instead of imagining um, a cell or metal grate, I heard between that is a large metal bard. (laughs) And I conjured a Warforged Meredith in my mind's eye. Uh, Are there any notable instances you can remember in which what's been described just doesn't compute properly? Hmm... I think for me there are, because occasionally my brain puts us in a more modern context, Mm. like visually, than the world is. Because the world is, I mean, there are parts of it that are more modern. Like I have made Potentia's apartment quite modern because that's kind of how it is in my head, because that's how where she's from kind of is a little bit in my head. But there are certainly bits where we'll, I'll hear, you know, we'll be somewhere and then Harold or... um, Ben as an NPC will describe something and I'll be like, oh, that's completely different to what my brain had and I adjust or attempt to adjust accordingly. Yeah, I think it happens all the time, right? I think possibly one of the biggest ones we had was the difference between like snake basilisk and D&D multi-leg basilisk. Yeah. Yes, especially I think because... um, for a lot of people, uh, the Harry Potter films are the, the sort of introduction <laughs> to the to, to the basilisk, uh, and historically, that isn't how basilisks have been portrayed. Uh, so, yeah, that was a good example. I think when you can sort of, I mean, I'm I'm one of those nerds who just like flicks through the monster manual. So, like, I've seen a lot of the art for a lot of the monsters. Uh, I think it's different for me because I play so many RPG games and uh, because of that, I I have this like amalgamation of fantasy worlds in my head. Uh, You know, like I, I played Morrowind when that first came out, Dragon Age, like just, I played so many fantasy settings uh, and, and being, you know, RPG computer games, you have all of those visuals. So I actually have a really fully realized like fantasy world in my head anyway. And I feel like most of the time when Ben describes something, some kind of imagery gets pulled from, you know, like something where I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen, I've seen the fantasy sewer. I've seen, you know, the guardhouse or, you know, it, it, I, I, I tend to have a, pretty good frame of reference for most things just because of the sheer number of hours I've plowed into like all of those kinds of games so Mm -hmm. it is a very dragon agey kind of place in yeah and I think it's actually kind of yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
I think it's kind of nice that we all have these slightly different images as well, because yeah. it means that we're not like I, I do love a bit of, um, you know, I love minis. I love that kind of stuff. But I think the fact that we play entirely theater of the mind gives us the flexibility there as well. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly mm-hmm. something's concrete and that's great. You're like, cool. OK, I have something to hang on. But until then, it sort of doesn't matter, which I think works really yeah. nicely for all of you as well, because you mm-hmm. can envisage, you know, the ballroom at Harold's parents' house as easily as we can. It's just that mm. our images of that ballroom I mean, might I think be different. I mm. think uh, peeking behind the curtain, but we're already we're already behind the scenes anyway. But yeah. um, there <laughs> was like behind the there was like a ten to fifteen minute conversation Kate had working out how long that bridge was. Oh uh, yeah, it was important. It was important. It was really important. <laughs> See, the thing is. Whenever we get into a combat, that's when things need to like solidify around yeah. us so yeah. we know what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And otherwise, the world is kind of very malleable and flexible. Yeah. And that's, again, I think that comes down to me being like, well, it could be one of many bridges in my head. I need to know which bridge it is. Um, and that's, I mean, I, I, it is no secret to anyone that I come from an improv theater, uh, theater background, which means that for me, I'll happily play in a space that has no boundaries. But uh, if you're putting a boundary in, tell me what it is, and I'll yeah. Play because suddenly, like, I just need to know what distances become important for casting spells and, and all those kinds of things. Yeah, I'm the kind of person who will put the invisible glass down on an invisible table and pick it up from the exact same place. But I just need to know where the table is. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, it's Kate here. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of Dungeons and Doctorates. If you're enjoying the show, why not recommend the podcast to a friend? It really helps us to grow our audience. It's bonkers to me that it's not just our friends listening to us anymore. If you have questions for our cast about the show or a submission for a mid-show message, head on over to dndoctorates.com. That's dndoctorates.com. You can also help support the show by checking out our merch over there or specifically at merch.dndoctorates.com. And for now, back to the action. Well, let's move on now. Um, Rachel asked, um, in the recent episode, when discussing what Gregory does and doesn't know, uh, towards the end of the interaction, Harold mentioned Mr. Red. My query is, did they tell Gregory about him as well, or did he have no idea who that was? Now, here's the problem. I think we, uh, uh, we sort of we didn't have that conversation in game. We we sort of, you know, we did the diddly doo diddly doo time black, skip. Fade. Yeah. Uh, in the I mean, past, you met with you met with Gregory straight after being uh, arrested temporarily following the the tea house explosion. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you had met Mister Red at that point. So you've had you've had at least two opportunities now. So in 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 my head canon around Harold, uh, I know that he was initially kind of cagey about the details, but I think when they uh, when Dust of Chalk was arrested and they went back to the uh, the watch house, I think that's when Harold was like, "Okay, look, uh, Cars the table. we're kind of in over our head here. This is everything I know." Uh, because I, I think in in some in some respects, you know, Harold was sort of previously trying to protect people from knowing too much, and also sometimes sometimes just like 
holding details back. Like it, it's sort of. I, I think for Harold, he he's the kind of person who just doesn't think you spill everything. You know, you tell people what they need to know and then go from there. But I think it became pretty obvious once Dust of Chalk was arrested that, you know, the things had taken a, a much grander um, turn and it, it, it was it involved a lot more than just the three of them at that point. And obviously he didn't realise that he was probably at the time giving them all the information they needed to, to nail Dust of Chalk. But, you know... Uh, that's kind of how things went. So I think Gregory is is probably fully in the know, and he he would be one of the only people who is, I suspect, um, except for maybe Bonan, because we also didn't fully have that conversation. I don't think. Yeah, I think it's tricky. I think um, Potentia doesn't tell people anything, as we have established. Uh, or rather, Kate baits the other players into asking her questions and they don't take the bait and so no one finds anything out. <laughs> it's fun. Um, <laughs> it's a fun game for me. Uh, no, no. You've, you, you've taken the bait occasionally. It's just oh, that I tend to bait everyone a lot more than... And Ben goes, dang it, she's baiting again. It's fun. Uh, but it means that I am unlikely to have had that conversation. I think it would be interesting to know... What kind of happens between season one and season two becomes where I wonder what conversations have happened, I think, more than what happened within the season itself because she's 100% not told anyone anything prior, but we know that she's had to do some writing down of things in the interim. And as to how much information she's willing to put on paper, there's probably about six drafts that got written before anything got sent off officially i think um yeah i think also we should probably address that's why we're doing these side stories is to like time is passing in the rest of the world we'll catch up with the academic adventurers in a little bit uh in the meantime here is some other stories yeah and also because like we we love the academic adventurers but it's also fun to play not them like yes i mean I, i think a lot of us uh absolutely fulfilled the stereotype of a D&D beyond account just full of characters <laughs> I don't know what you yeah. mean this definitely wasn't my about? second no. ever campaign and there aren't like 20 characters I don't know what you're talking you know, about like, no. it's, it's, no. it's not no. an accident that um, you know Klaus was very different to Harold and that um, oh my gosh I'm blanking on the name of my own character now but the character <laughs> I played in the Halloween episode uh, they're very different again uh, and that that's on purpose uh, I'm not you know I know some people they they kind of fall into like playing the same kind of characters and I actually think there's I, I can really see the comfort in that because I think a lot of people have an idealized version of someone they would love to be and they they, they get drawn to playing that character um, and that's not me I I really uh, I really enjoy just all of these different characters. In fact, every character I've played has been so different. Um, my first character was like a, a rogue with a, with like a, you know, a tragic backstory, but not like an edgy type of rogue. Like they were very like justice focused rogue. Um, you know, like obviously Klaus, um, 
is, is sort of from this really different kind of culture. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping to play Alistair again because um, he's a lot grumpier than he had chance to show in the uh, <laughs> in, in that uh, series of episodes. But um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I will happily play Trillis for as long as possible because she has exploding flumps now. Like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you want from me? She's, she's the chaos that Potentia is not. Not that we particularly, any of us really fall on the alignment chart particularly well. Like, if you're going to put lawful at one end and chaotic at the other, mm. um, exploding flumps to, no, I'm not going to tell authority, I'm going to write it down and be very careful and edit it before I send it in. Um, kind of opposite ends of that spectrum. I don't know. I just, I would like to, you know, blip hair back my dialogue, just play sneak again. <laughs> just always oh, Coming opportunities. Oh my goodness, spoilers! Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> it's going to be so good. Yeah. All right. So we have uh, one of two Paul dumps. So let's get yes. started. Hi, Paul. We love you, Paul. <laughs> so question number one. Uh, we have met a few members of the Irregulars. Was there anything that inspired this group? And how did you go about picking the members that make up this group? Um, so I'm guessing this is at me. Yes. Um, yeah, the Irregulars were very much inspired by the guards from Discworld. Like, very much inspired by that. I didn't rag know tag. that, but that's so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. I definitely I um, get. I definitely get that. Yeah, uh, get that, that vibe. Yeah. Uh, also, there's some of the. Um, I forgot what the society is called, but from the Hellboy, the the group of like oh, yeah, yeah, ghosts yeah. and demons and things that are working to stop. The, the other things that go bump in the night. Um, yeah, just anytime I've seen fun, like monster fighting groups, I'm like, that's, hey, that's a fun idea. Let's, let's throw a werewolf into this team. Let's throw a, a spirit in a suit of armor into this team. Yeah. Let's, like, anytime I'm like, what's a fun idea for a guard who you wouldn't expect to be a guard? They're going to go into the Irregulars. Because that's where they fit. Yes. They don't fit anywhere else. They're in a regular. I think what I really like about the concept as well is that it really flips on its head the normal um, narrative of of villainy, right? Because so often the ghosts, the vampires, the werewolves—they're always the enemy. And I, I think I think that's that's fine. But I think there's a lot of room for more grey in in storytelling and and i think it's nice to think about oh well what if these people weren't just brainless monsters to swing a sword at like how would these people live lives if we actually thought about them as people with real motivations and not just cartoon you know i think you know nikolai's a great example he's he's a vampire and traditionally what in D &D, vampires are all you, bad what they are just Never. bad he's a what <laughs> Um, and so, but like, you live in a place long enough, you grow an attachment to it. And if you're a vampire, you live a very long time. Yeah. I mean, it's part of why I love the Kobold episode that mm -hmm. we put out, because I think it's another prime example of, of this world flipping, here's a thing that you expect and turning it into, but also they have a whole society and a whole life and it's not just the thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's something that... All of, I mean, I'm speaking for all of us here, but all of us are quite conscious of that stereotyping, be that in a game setting or in general, is 
bad. Mm-hmm. Let's go with bad for want of a much longer diatribe of my opinions. Um, because we don't have time for that. No one has time for that. Not even me. Um, I mean, that was my motivation for sort of um, for giving Klaus a somewhat Germanic. Um, I will say because <laughs> this is I love this about D and D. He isn't German. He's an elf from elf. a culture that just happens to vaguely resemble my awful German accent. But that's how they sound. So, yeah. Um, I oh, don't have a bad Scottish accent. I have an excellent dwarven accent. But yes. My, yeah. but my motivation behind like, that was, you know, elves are always these regal, very like... Um, They're always like fantasy British or fantasy French. He's very like, hey, <laughs> stop, stop belittling my 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 perfectly valid choice. But you right. know, we so often see elves in these like Byron esque, uh, romanticized versions, and I I wanted to be like, well, what if what if they were a different type of culture, you know? Um, and I, I think that was a lot of fun. I mean, there's, you the can also like part- play into those tropes as well and then have Thank fun you. while playing into them like i love i love breaking the mold but i also like if i'm gonna play a paladin i'm gonna play uh, the most like lawful good like strict paladin 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 is paladin because that's a fun character type to play. Uh, sorry i was just like listening to ross being like you're you're why are you describing Potentia and making it sound bad? Like, that was the whole point of her. She's supposed to be a trope because she's supposed to be a trope that I can break up into tiny little pieces. Yes. But she's yeah. a trope. But, but then you're like, yes, it's, they're always this and they're always yeah. rude. But that's the fun of it, right? I mean, you I mean, we haven't do gotten both. to do a lot of breakdown. I haven't gotten to do a lot of the breakdown. She just comes across as stereotypical at the moment. But like, you know, we'll get there. Yeah. I actually think that some of what we've recorded for season two starts to do that Mm -hmm. sorry joe it starts to do that (laughs) oh no (laughs) i thought i was doing well you were doing well and then you weren't doing well anymore oh no (laughs) anyway when when everyone else messages me afterwards being like are you okay let's i'm uh, fine yeah honestly um season two starts with i was gonna say a bang maybe a pop uh so (laughs) let's move on um with the damage to the lower floor and now the remains of an infestation, uh, have you decided on some kind of timetable for the underlibrary to be back to operation? I mean, I think because we have had uh, side stories set in the underlibrary, it is back to somewhat operational. Yeah, isn't um, it just in a permanent state of chaos and unrest? I think <laughs> the lower 10 floors of the underlibrary are probably still inaccessible because they are only currently accessible via ladder and that's oh, like that's that's an, that's an operational health and safety issue for yeah, sure via the, ladder the, the or pi- squid the, yeah like the, the pixies are just getting the books that we need from those shelves right now but other than that yeah, not so much yeah yeah um so i guess yeah the underlibrary is partly open for business as open as it would normally need to be with notable yeah. exceptions. Yeah, they need to get some <laughs> some contractors in there and get some repairs done. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I think with that is magical contractors are great because magic fixes things faster than... Mm. than but time, also so. more expensive and... Yeah. And yes. university budgets. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone pulls face. Right. Yeah. I mean, in my, in my head canon... It's not the people who work for universities. Mm. I mean, in my, in my head canon... Uh, completely based on nothing you know Bonin has some kind of library magic that probably helps the process a little bit um 
there are some D and D classes that are sort of book based, but I I would love to see a proper archivist slash library class, and it, it it probably wouldn't be a playable class, but it it could be a cool you know base for an NPC. Literary um, wizard. Mm, yeah. You know. I mean, I could, some combo I could cleric, tell you what Bonin's class is if you wanted to. I can yes. tell you what he is. Yes. Bon- Bonin yes. has uh, a couple levels in Barbarian. Yeah. Um, but now he is a knowledge domain cleric. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say, nice. I was about to say, like it should be part, part okay. wizard, part cleric for that archivist type thing and that yeah. tracks. I would yeah. not have picked cleric. Yeah, well, He's he, too nice and kindly and helpful. He's he's a uh, follower of the goddess of knowledge. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right, let's go to the next question. Um, Paul says, I was surprised and happy to see that Whitebeard and Steve were still around rather than reverting back to books. Is there a reason they didn't revert back? Um, Are they able to leave the library or are they stuck there? That is a very good question. Steve is apparently my go-to name for studying out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there was a point okay. for Amara, Steve, but yeah. We all have we all have names like that. We all have names like that. Mine's um, Frank, which is a problem <laughs> because of the dog. So I have to keep thinking of other names that aren't Frank. <laughs> well, there are two Franks in the world as well. There's Frank mm-hmm. the dog and there's an officer Frank, but they are spelt differently. Yes. Yeah, because he, because like he's an officer. He's like, let me be frank, and he is frank. Um, <laughs> but so, so uh, back to the books. Anyway, um, yes. yes. So, so Whitebeard and Steve, uh, they, they are like living sentient constructs um, with these these heart books inside of them that like are their core, uh, like what drive them, and. They are like self-sufficiently running magic, basically. Um, whether or not they can leave the library is another question because like the to to take a line and and mess it up horribly from another Discworld novel, um, knowledge is power, and when you put a lot of books together, that's a lot of knowledge. So that's a lot of power. And words have power, so then if you but if you take that book out of the library, like you're cutting it off from the, the connection. What if it was on loan? Though? What if I just borrowed it out and took it to my house? For for reasons that Ben understands with a little bit of Latin, um, that would also be a fun thing for me to try and do. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, whether or not they can leave the library, I am not going to reveal. But yeah, they, they, are, they are as close to alive as a a construct made of books with a, a heart book inside of them fueled by magic can be make that as you will like the difference between life and death in D is very blurry mm. so uh paul asks we saw nora in action casting spells and a chef using magic also this made me wonder when it comes to npcs and magic do you assign classes and stats to them or do you just give them uh, some of them access to certain spells um, that it would make sense for them to know. So some characters, some NPC characters are fully fleshed out characters with class levels. And I've, I've 
made them as if I had made an actual character. Some of them are, I've treated more like D&D monsters where I've put together a stat block and then given them a, a couple spells and a couple abilities to do. Um, yeah, so it's a bit of a mix. Depend, it, de- it depends on how much I need to know about a character. Mm. How much something needs to, like, could come up in a situation that I, I will spend time on. Because like that's have, that's it. Like it's my, how much time do I want to devote to something that is only going to get touched on briefly, compared to how much time do I want to spend on something that you're going to interact with again and again and again. But again, I am very good at improvising. So sometimes you can delve into an NPC I hadn't expected you to delve into, and I have to on the fly come up with stuff and then make make notes as I'm doing it, so that becomes canon. I was about to ask, have we made you do that with anyone specifically? Um, I think there are a couple people in the guild that I needed to suddenly have more details about, um, like characters that started as just stat blocks and then I'm like, oh, okay, I have to, I have to add some more details to this person. Um, like High Noon, for example, is more detailed now because you've interacted with her a couple times. Um... That's the one that comes to mind at the moment. I think okay. there are, like, Raffi is a yeah, full-fledged well, that's, character. That's what I was going to ask, is because, like, Raffi felt like a not big character mm-hmm. back yeah. in the day. Yeah, Raffi mm-hmm. started And then, then as we suddenly just... went, hey, I'm going to make friends with this character because I'm a jerk. And yeah. then, um, for yeah, better Raffi, or worse. Yeah, Raffi um, started as just, just a stat block with some abilities ha! and then has progressed <laughs> into a full, full character sheet. Awesome. Uh... So let's move on to this one. And actually, this is one of my favorite questions, I think. Uh, I am emotionally invested, so I need to know (laughs) what happened to the one surviving kobold um, from the library infestation episode. Were they able to join a new clan? I guess we'll find out in the next kobold caper. There we go. It's definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, Stay tuned. Uh, so, uh, we saw Lanwin inside a mechanical crab. Has he just invented <laughs> yes! his own mech suit? Um, so, there are a number of uh, artifacts and things in D&D from way, way back that are effectively mech suits, but magical. Um, magical constructs, yeah. Well, he's an artificer, right? Yeah, he's an artificer. Yeah. So, you know... Um, yeah, it's 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 a mech suit. I, I guess we could we could call it that. Um, whether or not it is particularly advanced, uh, not not compared to a lot of science fiction mech suits, but mm-hmm. well, clearly because he got stuck in it. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. So its effectiveness is a little bit questionable right now, but he's working yeah. on it. He's working on it. He 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 started with I'm going to make a mechanical crab, and then he went I'm going to make a mechanical crab that I can be inside and pilot. Hmm. I really want to see, because um, I've been watching a heap of Elden Ring content uh, the past week, <laughs> uh, I really want to see eventually it get to the scale of those huge Soulsborne crabs that are in every Soulsborne uh, game for some reason. <laughs> oh, oh, what? Why would you tell him that, Ross? Now we're going to have giant crabs to do. This is as bad as the spiders all over again. <laughs> Why? Yes. As if I don't already have plans for I know. <laughs> it's also, it's, it's that same moment as if I didn't intentionally pick a um, 
wild magic barbarian to exclusively to get exploding flumps. Like, you know. Uh, this, this, it's just one of the pure joys of... of like, D&D 5e has bought... Like, a lot of people have criticisms of, of it, and that's... Uh, some of them are fair. Um, but I think whimsy is actually... Yeah. Um, the thing that 5e has brought the best to the game. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people miss the crunch and, and you know, there are certain games where I probably would, not not in the way we play, but um, I think the whimsy is is actually a really nice uh, addition. Shush. So, yeah. I think the thing is you can, always pl- you can always go back and play the other versions if you want. It's not like mm. by us playing 5e, you can't go and play 3.5 mm-hmm. or two yeah. if you really wanted to um <laughs> you can yeah. don't but you can <laughs> yeah so um how common are house griffins as pets and how many people would have one okay so this is actually a question that i have already discussed previously with debbie because she wanted to have a house griffin in her one shot so house griffins are a luxury pet mm. Um, similar to like a, a high-end um, pure breed dog or cat in our world. Um, so they exist in high-end society, but sometimes they escape and they get out into the wilds of the city um, and then you start getting feral ones prowling around. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what you encountered, I believe, in the... Yeah, what you encountered in the um, Women's Day episode. Yeah. The Ouscapades. So, to to answer your question, (laughs) a a pure-bred house griffin, not that common, unless you're in high society. But, like, a feral house griffin, probably a bit more common. Like, um... They're a feral cat versus a Maine Coon. Like, it's... Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, right. And when I say Mancun, I mean purebred. Purebred rolls. What's the one at Griffin Hall's name again? Midnight. That's right. Joe, write mm. that down or you'll forget next time we did it. <laughs> oh, I'm 100% going to forget. 